I'm Ellie Taylor and welcome to Deal With It, a podcast that boldly addresses some of the most important issues that we so often choose to ignore, why we shouldn't and what we can do about them. Brought to you by Corsidal Toothpaste. Gum disease affects at least 50% of adults. It can cause bad breath, bleeding gums and untreated can lead to receding gums and eventually tooth loss. Sexy. And yet we know two thirds of sufferers ignore this serious problem. Corsidal toothpaste is here to help. When used twice daily, it's clinically proven to help stop and prevent bleeding gums. So get on with it and deal with it. Today, we tackle the tricky topic of money. A whopping 55% of UK adults believe the stress caused by their finances is affecting their mental health. Yet a recent YouGov poll showed that 48% of us Brits feel uncomfortable having proper conversations about it. But ignoring financial problems is a surefire way to make them worse. There are practical steps we can take to improve the health of our finances. And in this episode, we're going to be chatting about some of the most common problems and ways you can tackle them head on. And if that sounds a little bit dry, it is. No, don't worry. I'm only messing. It won't be. It won't be too serious. It'll be a lot of fun. Uh, And I know that because I'm delighted to be joined right now by head of Yahoo Finance UK, Liana Brindid. Liana, how are you? Great. Awesome to be here. Thank you. Talking about the fun of money. Well, let's take things back to the beginning. Let's talk about childhood. I think so often our relationship with money is sort of linked back to early days. I have really clear memories of when I was a kid, um, my mum suggesting that I put, you know, my pocket money that I'd squirreled away. Why didn't I, you know, put that in a proper bank? And I was like, no, I wanted it. I wanted to physically count it out. I liked the feel of money. I wanted to be in it like Scrooge McDuck. That was my attitude to money. I'm a bit of a hoarder, I suppose. But what's what's your like earliest memory you have of money? I suppose the earliest memory is that I never had enough of it, even as a child. <laughs> um, it was there was always something that I wanted and never had enough. Um, but I suppose, um, you know, really, it was even something as simple as penny sweets, like all the way back then. So all you Gen Z and Maled may not <laughs> rem- remember what penny sweets were, but you'd go to your local news agents and you'd have, you know, 10p or if you had 50p, I felt rich. I remember, that's reminded me actually, my pocket money as a kid was 20p and it would be 20p and I would spend it on penny yeah. sweets. Exactly the same thing. Exactly. Um, so now now you're a grown up, a fully fledged woman. Do you, do you enjoy spending your money? Do you like, what's your biggest blowout purchase that you've ever made? Um, probably the most ridiculous splurge that I've had, which sounds ridiculous when I tell you what it is, was on my rabbits and their chalet <laughs> that they have. <laughs> I, I, I went I went into a pet, a very famous pet store um, to get dog food because I have two dogs. And um, I managed to come out with two giant rabbits, a chalet, like a Swiss chalet for a rabbit and a run and all the bells and whistles and toys. And I was like... I went in there for a £10 bag of dog food and this is what happens. As a, a rabbit um, ignoramus, <laughs> how much does a rabbit chalet set one back? My one was about £300. <gasps> I treat I treat my uh, fur babies as Very babies, well. So. Really? God, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think my most um, sort of grown-up boring uh, sort of splurge was probably like a really fancy cordless uh, vacuum cleaner. Oh, the things that can do to a skirting board, let me tell you, worth every penny. <laughs> but it's like when you're a kid and you were thinking about penny sweets and all the glory, glorious things you could buy mm. when you were growing up with all your money and then you find yourself at sort of mid-30s, like, oh, I'll know, I'll get a new hoover. Like, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's sad times, isn't it? Um, is there anything that you refuse to spend money on? The things I absolutely refuse to pay for, which always surprises people, considering how much I drink it, is coffee. Um 
I find it really, really bizarre that people would spend so much on a cup of coffee when you can just get, you know, a bit of granules, a bit of hot water, you're done. Oh, well, fair enough. You and your granules sound very happy together. (laughs) Delicious granules. (laughs) Do you think, um, I suppose sort of understanding our, our key relationship with money, sort of the, the relationship that we have formed since we were kids, what do you think are the signs if you do have a bit of a, a tricky a tricky relationship with cash? Well, I think the biggest thing is maybe not understanding it properly. Um, and that doesn't mean something like, oh, you have to know about like the stock markets and the VIX index or anything like that. It's more like, um, you know, understanding how to save, or what you need to spend on, what the necessities, and not be afraid of it. Um, and um, talking about it, which we're doing here, is really important. Yeah, I think that's so true. I think so much of, I don't know if it's our specific society in, in the UK, but it, there is so much secrecy surrounding money. And I sort of think about growing up, and my dad is, and still to this day, is so like, he would never talk about how much he was earning or how much savings they had, whereas my mum would openly talk about it much to his Mm. fury and I wonder if if there was more sort of openness um, especially in jobs where you've got you know people doing exactly the same jobs I'm thinking you know in an office perhaps you know two people are marketing executives or whatever Uh, if if you both knew how much you were earning um, I think that would sort of just open the, the channels of conversation and maybe we'd be a bit freer about it what do you think we should know how much people are earning? It's so difficult. It's such a difficult question because, you know, you think about it as like theoretically, that would be awesome because you could see if there's pay gaps. Mm. You could see if, you know, pay is fair. You could also see what is standard. So I, you know, for the job that you do, it doesn't matter, you know, what sector you're in, what office, um, it would be really useful to know what is expected and also to plan for the future. But then there's also the other side of human nature, right? And you're like, oh God, Bob, you know, Mm. it's like, I'm better than him. Maybe I should get this. It's, you know, the human nature side is very difficult about it, but because our, uh, you know, maybe the culture and not talking about it is so insteeped, it's really hard to think, you know, what is the right way? It it just gets really murky. I I just don't know what the right answer is. No, I know what you mean. Do you think it's like, do you think it's not cool to ask your colleagues how much they earn? Do you think that's sort of just a no-go area? I do think it's a no-go area because so many things come into factors when it comes to pay. Um, you know, obviously, if there's a huge pay gap, that's, that needs to be addressed. But it's a lot more nuanced, which is different to pay equity, i.e. you are doing the exact same job and you have the exact same experience and you have the exact same qualifications as the person next to you. Do they get paid the same? That's pay equity. In terms of pay gap, that is very, very different um, because that is the average pay of someone at a a, you know, a company or in a government or things like that. And there's lots of other factors that skew it, like seniority and things like that. So I, I don't think it's necessarily been shown to be particularly useful, knowing what the person next to you is exactly getting in a really black and white way. What about in regards to the gender pay gap? Well, what's really interesting is that, um, especially because, you know, in the UK, there's a government mandate for actually companies over 250 um, employees to actually um, publish their gender pay gap. And the way that looks into it is that, let's say for the average um, female and average male, what are their pay? And obviously there's pay gaps, you know, all over the place. There's, there's absolutely, I think it's very rare to find 
um, one that has zero pay gap, which is why it's government mandated to do it, right? Um, but what is interesting is actually when you look into the data is how much more nuanced it is because it shows the reason why there's a pay gap isn't because of pay equity. It's because there are fewer female workers at a senior level. So therefore, those positions that pay more, there are fewer women having that pay, that's what causes a gap. So it's sometimes not addressing what the issue on pay equity, it's actually addressing how to, you know, promote and um, develop women into more senior roles, rather than they're not getting paid the same amount as one of their male colleagues at the same level. Which I imagine will come down to a lot of stuff about mm. when women take time off to have kids and stuff, which sort of s- stalls their career in some respects. So, and that's a whole different kettle of fish. It's just very complicated. <laughs> yeah, it's so complicated. Okay, so uh, let's take it down to basics then. If you are, if you do think that you deserve a pay rise, how? Do you recommend going in there and asking for one? Do you have to put a little PowerPoint presentation together with lots of little clip art pictures? What would you do? You have to be, um, you know, methodical about it. You have to be strategic about it. But above all, you have to be willing to talk about it. So, for example, if you do think um, that you deserve and want a pay rise, you should ask for one. Um, And actually, like, it's really interesting because one of my best friends in the entire world. I've known him for like 20 years now. Um, he was a trader. He was like, you need to, and a lot more women need to ask more. You need to talk about it more and actually raise your hand up and ask for things because you wouldn't automatically be given it. Whereas a lot of guys probably do because they're loud and they ask for things. And so that was like, oh, but it feels icky. I don't like talking about money. I don't like talking about this. My work will speak for itself. Um, but it doesn't happen that way. So I say like the top tips is that one, you need to be able to willing and be confident to talk about it. Um, go into a meeting and lay out why. Um, you have to show what your impact is. But first and foremost, talk about it. I think a really good piece of advice I was given in any situation where you're trying to big yourself up. And again, I think a lot of us find it icky, exactly as you said. It feels really like, oh, it's not me. Oh, yeah. no, I don't want to talk about it. If you, you should imagine you're talking about your friend. We are always so much more enthusiastic and positive and we will, you know, absolutely raise our friends up to the sky as absolute queens. So if you imagine you're talking about Karen and, and saying what Karen has done and how impactful she's been, it's much easier if you sort of distance yourself because otherwise we are we can be a little bit meek, I think. That's the thing. It's really confidence in yourself and actually realising that, you know, um, you spend more time of your life in work than anything else and you are giving your all to it. And if you do want a pair of you should ask for it. And the worst thing that someone can say is no. Yeah. The world's not going to end. Um, but the best case scenario, you get a pay rise. Yeah. So you've got to find your sort of channel, your inner American man. I think they're probably the most confident people in the world. So that's what you've got to find. You've got to find find your inner Donald Trump. (laughs) Show your inner Beyonce. Like, yeah. Would Beyonce not ask for a pay rise? Would Beyonce (laughs) not? I mean, like, what would Beyonce do? Hashtag what would Beyonce do? I like that. I can cope with that more. Right. Brilliant. Uh, I think obviously debt is a big uh, part of any conversation about money Um, and there's stats on it are quite staggering. So 8.3 million Brits uh, are in debt with the average household debt uh, standing around £60,000. That's a massive, massive amount. Um, What what would you say is the best place to sort of 
start resolving any issues with debt. And I suppose debts aren't, not all debts are the same. You've got a debt of a mortgage, which isn't mm. as, you know, as, as stressful as perhaps, you know, high debts on a credit card. Yeah. So debt is, well, first and foremost, pretty normal. So people should, one, not be fearful of it. But what they need to do is, you know, talk about it, track it, and also um, understand that there's different, like you just said, different kinds of debt where um, there's, you know, there's a very big difference in someone having a, you know, personal loan that helped them, um, you know, do up the house, which maybe would help sell it on for more or to, um, you know, for consolidating debt, which actually helps at a lower interest rate. Or there could be things like, you know, you went a bit crazy and you got a store card and you spent like, I don't know, a thousand pounds on a pair of pants, if you know what I mean, or something like that. Like, it really depends on what that kind of debt services, but you do need to be on top of it. And the way when people get in trouble is when they ignore it. They just accumulate it and just hope it will go away because it is really stressful when you feel like you've got all these payments coming out and you're worried about your job and things like that. It's very easy to be like, oh, I'll, I'll think about it another day. But it's acknowledging that exists is the biggest thing, um, which can be a big feat for some people. But also, how affordable is it? So the key thing is when you look at your salary or whatever money that you have that comes in and everything after tax. After that, you look at how much you need to pay off those debts per month, even if it's minimum spend, and also what you need um, in order to basically live, i.e. rent, electricity, food, the basic necessities. And if you've got none or hardly any money left over after that, that's when you should really, really address um, paying off as much debt as possible because otherwise you accumulate more and more and more and then the vicious spiral happens. So budgeting is essentially the key to getting yourself out of debt. And I suppose stop stopping yourself getting into debt as well, knowing exactly what you've got to play with each month. Yeah, I think also people have to um, not be ashamed of it. I think that one one of the biggest things, and especially people who have huge debt problems, is the kind of shame of um, having so much, not being able to get out of it. Um, because having money, um, you know, a currency to allow you to live, to do the things that you do in your life, it's such a core basic to us as human beings. And if you feel like you're out of control of it or you've done something wrong, you know, you can feel ashamed of it and you don't want to talk about it, which is, you know, the worst thing that can happen. It's actually being kind to yourself and recognising that if you do need help, there are a lot of, um, you know, organisations and free helplines out there to help you. And also there are ways um, to do it, but you need to speak up and um, do that. Budgeting is a very, very key part of it um, because that allows you to really, really take control of your finances instead of doing it all in your mm. head. And looking forward, I suppose, to uh, as we get older, obviously saving money um, in, in just plain old savings is one thing, but there's also pensions as well. And I know certainly from my experience, you know, I do not have a pension and I am, what, 37? According to Wikipedia, 27, let's keep it that way. Um, so I know, I know it's something I need to sort out, but I just haven't, got around to doing it and it's just it's never a priority and I always think if I get you know a lump I think oh, I could start a I could start a pension with that it always seems to be something else that will come along and I think oh no I'll, I'll put it into the mortgage or something but how, how much should we be saving for a pension and when should we start and should we just do it and stop messing around 
every time I think of pension, I always think of this um, this moment in my life because I was just like, oh, great. Um, I was like in, I was about 22 and someone said to me, oh, the best age to start a pension is when you're 19. And I was just like, oh, great. So that's the laugh, end of it then. Mate. Yeah, you were just like, thanks for that. Good day to you too, sir. <laughs> um, so it's it, it just like when you hear information like that, you're just like, oh, God, what's the point? So, I mean, there's two ways about it. It's There's general rule that if you have debt, it's better to pay off your debt before you save. When it comes to pension, though, slightly different. And there are ways to start putting little bits away that even if you feel a bit squeezed can add up after 30 years. Like, remember that it is really long term. So even if for now you don't know what to do, just putting that 10 or 20 pounds away each time. And then when it accrues, putting it into something that can help with savings, that is, you know, there's no right or wrong way to do it. But, you know, if you want to start it, start it now. Yeah, it's never too early to start, I guess, is the the key there. That was it. I couldn't remember it. Again, I need more coffee, I think. (laughs) (laughs) My granules. Get your your granules out, love. (laughs) (laughs) Now, obviously, 2020 has been a strange old year, what with the coronavirus and us all in lockdown, and it's caused a massive amount of stress financially for so many people. Um, Is there anything specific you would recommend to help safeguard your personal finances and savings in times of uncertainty? One of the biggest things I'd say like during lockdown, which is like easier said than done, is to really get financially healthy by looking what your debts are, paying as much as you can. Um, How do you budget for the next few months? So out of, you know, the money that you have right now, how could you pay all your bills, um, be really comfortable, not do any ridiculous splurges, um, and actually just be a bit more cautious and, you know, cut back on those luxuries. And, you know, the luxuries can be something as simple as maybe not uh, subscribing to a certain thing or actually, you know, pausing a service that you usually like, you know, items that you just buy because it's a luxury and actually like, are they necessary right now for your health and like for yourself? Or is it an extra thing like maybe makeup and things like that? So it's just really, really understanding where you're spending your money, do you need it right now? And what's essential? And also, um, you know, being honest with yourself. When we were in true, true lockdown, um, I was running out of my very expensive perfume that I usually wear every day. But then I realised it's only my husband and baby in the house. They're not worth the expensive one. So I just started putting on the old, <laughs> the rubbish one I got in duty free. I thought that will do. That will do for now. So yeah, cutting, cutting down and finding out what's essential. <laughs> cutting back. <laughs> Obviously, money can cause quite a lot of stress within relationships. Um, When you first start going out with someone, it's all sort of free and easy. Your money is your own money. But inevitably, as you you get closer and you spend more time with each other, your money kind of gets merged in together and then comes the joyous joint account. Do you have any tips for dealing with conversations about finances to your partner? Because obviously, both of you can have very different priorities. Yeah. So I would say like the first and foremost, and it it may seem like a, you know, very simple thing to say, but it's always have those conversations with your partner. You're in it together, you're partners, you're equal and you share things. You share your life, you should share your finances, you should share all of it. And so by sharing it, that also means sharing information and, you know, being honest with one another about it. And, you know, whether you decide to have a joint account or decide to have separate accounts, that's absolutely fine. Like there's no right or wrong way to do it, but it really comes down to the conversation and, you know, I suppose transparency with each other and understand. Yeah, quite often you, you see people um, 
you know, hiding products from partners that they've bought. They don't want their partner to know they've bought a new pair of shoes or whatever. And I always think that's probably, <laughs> that doesn't seem like the best way to conduct a relationship, like sneakily spending money. <laughs> money yeah I mean I I mean I personally would be like more infuriated if like you know one day like I was like oh god we're really stuck we need to go and you know buy some food and suddenly like my husband walks down in the fur coat or something I'm like where did that come from you know that would be really like that would be infuriating it's like what is that but um you know if he was like I really needed this fur coat <laughs> because I'm going out into the Arctic or something fine because we had a conversation but it's the secrecy and hiding that stops the trust and causes then those stresses in relationships because it's just it's so broken at that point that communication me and my husband have quite I think quite an interesting uh, relationship with our joint account because at the beginning it was very pure and it was like you know mortgage bills uh, and that would be it. And then it started being occasionally like we'd go out for dinner and be like, oh, should we put it on the joint account? Like someone else was treating us, even though it was our <laughs> money. And then he's got really into that. And it's always the joint account. And we go out, like even when we go out and buy naughty, naughty coffees, Liana. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and then I've started like, no, that is not a sanctioned expense. You could not put the taxi on the joint account. Um, so I think that, yeah, even, especially when it's your joint money, when you're sharing the pot, I suppose mm. you do need to have, you agree the parameters about how that money is spent. Yeah. I think it's just that's the point it's like the method in which you do it is Mm. so unique whatever works for you you know you as a couple um in whatever way that is but it's more about no matter what the core of it is just trusting be understanding and talk about these things and then being able to know when things aren't a surprise then it's absolutely fine and as long as you you know got a roof over your head and you're you know paying your bills then it doesn't matter what you spend the rest of the money on really now, when it comes to lending money to friends or family, how do you feel about that? Oh, it's so tricky. I don't like this question. Um, <laughs> I hope my family don't listen to this. No. <laughs> um, they always say, right, never lend money or go into business for family or friends. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, a lot of the time it does go wrong. But it's not to say that it will always go wrong. And it can be fine, but there needs to just be very, again, very clear communication. There needs to be parameters set down and actually also at the same time not feel pressured into it. If you want to help and you can help, it shouldn't be a blanket thing to say no. But it is really tricky and sometimes it goes wrong. But you should always make sure that you can... The only way you can help other people is if you also make sure that you look after yourself too. Um, so you should always remember that before you do anything like that. I always think it's really sad when money causes issues within a family because it's such mm. a shallow, shallow thing to argue about. But I've known so many instances of uh, within my sort of wider family of um wills creating issues about inheritance which is a horrible horrible it just it just seems so petty and nasty and sort of it just makes everyone seem a little bit greedy um so are there any sort of things that you think we need to consider when it comes to inheritance and having those awful bickerings yeah so when it comes to obviously a death and like your family or your network or anything like that I mean it's hard enough already um, and especially like at a time where everyone's at their lowest is, you know, a crisis can bring out the best and the worst in people. And usually when we mean worst, when it comes to the death, is people bickering over wills, over money. And it just seems so pointless when there's something huge and seismic that's happened. And you're just like, why, why? But 
it's really sad and I wish I had the answer because like, you know, it would fix humanity because I swear everyone that I've spoken to, there has been something in someone's family where there's something about a will or money's come up and it's it's just painful. To be very honest, I don't know what real advice there would be in terms of that kind of uh, dynamics because every family is different. But the one thing that, you know, it does say is that, you know, for ourselves and for our family and everything like that is to, unfortunately, at some point, especially when you have responsibility, whether it's a house or whether you have a child or whether you get married or um, you're in a long-term partnership or things like that, is you have to think about the future and you have to acknowledge the future, like it's going to happen, whether it's a pension, whether it's a will, whether it's going to be paying off your mortgage, paying off debt is actually understanding that there's a longer term that in order to be healthy in finances and protect yourself and protect your family protect your friends is to you know plan for that so in advance you may feel indestructible when you're in your 20s and even in your 30s or um, anything like that but you should think about you know going talking about it getting a will drawn up, getting it done in the proper way. Um, If you want to save and for your pensions, then start now, put a little bit away because it will happen in the end. You know, if there's anything that we know in life, right, is death and taxes. Mm. (laughs) So, you know, we, you you should definitely, definitely always think of the long-term picture. And I also think I've known of quite a few um, people who've died, older people. And um, when the will was read out, it was like a total jaw drop moment because they had done things everyone assumed because it hadn't been spoken about that everything would be terribly equal it would you know equal amounts would go to each children and then suddenly one child gets a load more or gets left the house all the business or something and the other kid's like oh my god what did I do and they can't can't ask about it because it's done and it's like a will is not the place for a surprise that is what I would suggest yeah no I mean I think this is like the trend with all the things that we've been talking about is that like it has to be communication because yeah surprises cause that stress surprises in a relationship surprises when it comes out from a will surprise when it's like debt that you're trying to ignore it's it's just you need to no matter how hard and especially especially if it's let's say in the will aspect is you know talk to the family about it no matter how hard um just at least laying it out there because then if a situation like that happens that's been communicated before and it can't really be contested and it can't really be like turn into a fight because that's already been communicated rather than people second guessing your intentions, your motivations, or anything like that. And how do you think we should be speaking to children about money? Because, you know, we started the conversation with me talking about when I was a kid and just loving to hoard it. And I suppose I'm thinking about when my daughter grows up, do we give her pocket money uh, and that's just it? Or does she get pocket money if she does chores? What is the best way, do you think, of creating a healthy relationship with money? Well, I think, you know, I'm I'm not a parent, but there are like practices that I think that are, um, you know, really essential when it comes to, you know, teaching kids about it. And I'm very, very much like lead a lot of things about in financial inclusion. And that starts at home and that starts when you're a child. And like we were starting with the conversation before and how like our parents would talk about money and how we would use money. I do think that has, a, obviously it has a big influence on you later. Um, so in my family, they're very, very open about talking about money. I knew when my parents had it and I knew when they didn't. <laughs> 
And they would, um, but they'd also at the same times, so yeah, I'd have pocket money, I'd have to do chores, and I learned what a currency was. You know, even at schools, um, it may not be with money, but currency, if you earned a certain amount of stickers, you could get, oh, a really great pencil from this little, like, uh, the tuck shop and things like that. It allows children to understand the kind of earning reward and also giving them a responsibility at young age to start understanding that you need those things to buy things like things don't come for free and I think that's really healthy because then what happens is when they are older they'll understand it a bit more when they um want something they want to buy or understand that um you know, even in the family, you know, mindset, it's that, oh, I really, really want a guitar, but they may have more of an inbuilt culture and understanding that, okay, mum and dad can't buy me a guitar because that costs a lot of money. And I know that when I do my paper round and I only get £2 an hour, it's going to take me a long time. Like things like that will really, really sit with a child. And so there's never you know, it's never too early to start with them. And again, it doesn't have to be physical money. It can be something like stickers or something, gold stars, things like that. Yeah, that's, I think that's really interesting, actually, because you can obviously start that with young kids as well, learning about work and, and reward. That <laughs> reminds me of when I turned 16, actually, and my mum was like, you've got to get a job. And her way of making me get a job was, if you don't get yourself a part-time job, we will stop giving you any pocket money. So I would suddenly have no money. So I was totally forced into getting a job. And I did. And well done, mother. She's very firm. Uh, <laughs> and I could buy loads of penny sweets after that when I was 16. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank you so much, Leanna. It's so interesting to talk to you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's been really fun. And go forth and buy yourself a flat white. You deserve it. There you go. <laughs> if you've enjoyed this chat, then please subscribe to the full series of Deal With It on your favourite podcast platforms, where you can also give us a cheeky little five-star review if you fancy it. No pressure, but, you know, with a healthy dose of subtext suggesting a lot of pressure. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Deal With It, brought to you by Corsador Toothpaste. Deal With It.